Friday morning and uh, welcome to a special edition of Analyze This here on your NPR station. In the U.S. Virgin Islands with yours truly, Neville James. It's a beautiful day in paradise. Sun ain't out, but it's nice and clear. My man just went through the door. Power hour is in effect. Kyle Fleming making an appearance here. And then uh, in hour number two, uh, we're going to have the Montessori School uh, joining us, Wayne Huddleston, uh, the principal, and, uh, and Ellie O'Reilly. Um, I'm going to ask my engineer to give the weather service a call. Um, okay, the weather kind of getting a little warm. I know we had a, a cold front that was creating significant night dew here. And uh, uh, Saint Croix, uh, somebody said, "Director, what's up, man?" Not much, man. Good, uh, happy Friday. Good morning. Yeah, man. Happy Thank March. Thanks for joining me, my birthday, man. You know what I'm saying? Today's your birthday. Yeah, man. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, this is an extra special power hour now. This is, uh, I guess, some quality people joining me. So, thank you, been yeah. a contributor here. So, you know what it is. You know we do it, right? Well, c- congrats for another another yeah, year man. around yeah, the sun. Man. We give in. We completed fifty nine. 59. You know what I'm wow. So now I'm, I'm starting my 68th year on Earth, and I'll complete that a year from today. God willing. So it's like a, that. that's a big you know one. That's a big one. Yeah, 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 yeah. One more year to get to that six. So yeah. So um, how are the office doing? Everything good? Yeah, we're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, it's been a, a. I was just talking, walking up the stairs just now. It's been such a fast moving. 2023 yes, so sir. far can't believe we're already in march yes, sir. um and you know but that's that still has been helpful for us in terms of sure. being productive so it's been going well 31 28 69 days in already jeez yeah. it's it's jeez. <laughs> and, and that's 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 almost uh you know what I'm saying? 20%. I mean, it feels like yeah. the election was just behind, around, yeah, the, yeah, around the shoulder, and yeah. now all of a sudden we're about to come into summer already. It's, I mean, yeah, man. If your resolutions aren't in full effect at this point, <laughs> save them for next year. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> we got the weather service on the line. Uh, good morning. Who we got joining us today? They, they, they on? Looks like we lost. We lost the hey. Okay, there you go. Diego, good morning. How are you? I'm good. This is Emmanuel right here. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. How's everything? Everything is good. Clear skies here. Well, a little bit of clouds, but actually cold temperatures. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very quiet conditions. At least our land for us here. Yeah. It was. It was much cooler during the earlier part of the week. Yeah, la- I noticed. La- last night got a little bit, a little bit warmer, which is, which is good, but still cool though. Yeah, I was looking at temperatures yesterday. The low in San Croix was in the airport was 66 degrees. Wow, that's pretty cool for the island. Wow. But yeah, today the temperatures were a little bit warmer for the island. Actually, seen here uh, 74. I believe was the low for the island last night. How how much longer are we gonna be ever getting this type of awesome weather? So actually, I'm seeing for the next two or three days that what we have is this air mass that came after a cold front with conditions that should be quiet with light winds and temperatures, uh, uh, actually fair weather lingering with us for the next few days. We are expecting, in fact, a change in the wind from the southeast beginning tomorrow. That could actually bring temperatures a little bit warmer for the islands and perhaps a shower or two moving over the over over land, but we are not expecting 
uh, any significant weather event in terms of rain affecting our local islands. And um, that's been that's been the case for the most part. We were expecting some uh, intermittent showers beginning yesterday, but we never saw any rain over here on St. Croix. Yeah, the front was actually drier than we were expecting. It barely left any rain here, and as it moved into the Caribbean waters, it lost all its fuel, and only a few showers were observed over the waters, but well, none of them make it into land uh, over our over the area. Now, what should we be telling our our, our boulders and our um, beachgoers for this weekend? Well, this is going to be a very different story compared to the weather. We do have a northerly swell impacting our local islands. Right now, at least for the northern islands, St. Thomas and St. John, there's a high surf advisory breaking waves uh, around 12 feet for those islands and also for Culebra and northern Puerto Rico. A little calmer in St. Croix with the breaking wave around 6, but that still could produce high recurrent risk, at least for Kramer Park in the east. So if you're, if you're in the water for the boaters, seas, 6 to 10 feet, especially in the offshore and the Anigala Passage, so you have their smokecraft advisory effect, and you have to be very cautious if you decide to take the boat out. It's going to be more protected in the Caribbean waters, especially south of Puerto Rico, since the swell won't be able to penetrate these waters. But if you're planning to go to San Tomas, San John, Culebra, or Vieques, keep in mind that these are going to be hazardous for these areas, and beaches are going to be very hazardous as well. And these conditions could probably linger all through all the war week next week. We are not expecting the salt to diminish too much for the next few days. Okay. Uh, any question you want to ask? Uh Director Fleming, you asked um, well, Manuel. Actually, there's a quick question. You know, we talked about how cool it was here uh, over the last couple of days. I was wondering, uh, especially in like the mountains of Puerto Rico, how, how cold does it get up there? Do you guys get get below sub sixty, sub fifty at like the highest peaks? Yes, at least our cop station in the juntas has been reported temperature as cool as forty seven degrees. Wow. Uh, in some areas, uh, I mean, it's not really representative of the rest of the island because they are very high. But for those peaks in the mountains, temperatures can be 15 to 20 degrees cooler than we see here in San Juan in the coastal areas, mm-hmm. which are usually in the 70s during the night. Now, l- let me ask this, this question. This is supposed to be the dry period, but um, we've had uh, a good bit of rain um, to start the year. But it looks like we're heading towards that, that significantly dry window now. We are expecting conditions to get drier, actually in our audience, which actually worries us a little bit, especially with the water resources uh, in the in the area. Actually, for San Croix and San Thomas, the drought monitor have a moderate drought already in effect for these islands. Even even though we have been receiving some rain, it has been below, a little bit below normal for the islands. And these conditions are expected to conditions over the next few months. We are not anticipating any major rain events. So it could get even drier, and perhaps increasing the risk for fire weather across our islands too. Okay, well we we appreciate this. So um, look for the weather to remain the same throughout the weekend, is what you're saying? Yes, more or less the same weather. Perhaps a shower or two, but actually mainly fair, mainly dry weather that lingering through the weekend and early next week. Manuel, thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend, okay? And we'll talk with My you guys on pleasure. Monday. See you next time. You got it. You got it. That's our Manuel from the Weather Service.
down there in uh, San Juan. 47. Jeez, I'm yeah, glad. I don't think we've ever seen that over here. <laughs> no, no, no. I know that one, that one weekend back in 2000. You know, we got down in the low 60s and maybe high 50s, but with a lot of wind and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. 47 in Puerto Rico. I mean, wow. I remember when I went to University of Miami, um, January 86, it got done in the, in the high 30s. I was like, yo. In Miami? Yo, yo. I was like, yo, yo, what's going on here? You know what I'm saying? Because I had done two years in New York. Yeah. And I transferred. And I was like, wait a minute, I might as well stay. So check. But he had gotten a cold front, had rolled down in, down in Miami, like 38, 39 degrees. I was like, what? Well, I, I, re- I remember when I, the last time I went down to, you know, my, my mom is from St. Vincent. Mm-hmm. And we went to, uh, we had a family reunion back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And we hiked to the top of Mount Soufre, the volcano there. And yeah. I don't know what the altitude is. It's way up there. It's yeah. way above the tree line. Mm-hmm. Only shrubs grow up there. Um, but it was it was cool enough where you could almost, I feel like you almost see your breath up there. So, yeah, so, so, so that's cool. why you know it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this, it's weird to be able to look out and see the ocean, but then mm-hmm. feel like you're still, you know, know you're in the Caribbean, but still be at an elevation that brings that temperature to a un- uncommon, uncommon threshold for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, the last time we spoke, um, we were talking about that event that took place at uh, Cape Canaveral. Mm-hmm. And um, we were also, the conversation that we had later on in the hour, uh, we were talking about um, the elect- uh, the battery initiatives um, at your agency, and you were saying that um, we're looking at uh, some more initiatives along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually have. So we've been working. So I, th- I think probably a lot of people have been hearing about um, all the different federal funds that the, the Biden administration has been putting towards uh, just energy in general, all spectrum of energy. Uh, and, you know, the, obviously the territory is a you're going to be a recipient of, of a number of those funds for everything from transportation electrification, which, you know, we've already gotten the ball rolling on that. And we have more funds to support future initiatives, um, but also looking at pushing for more distributed generation in the form of solar and battery systems as well. Um, and part of the funding that we're getting from the federal government, one of the, our, our most near term funding sources, uh, we're certainly going to be incorporating some uh, specific battery storage incentives. Uh, I think it's one of the things that, you know, we see in terms of the the need for uh, resilience and, you know, the, the challenges that the, you know, we look at the challenges at the uh, resilience at the, you know, the power station to the transmission distribution, but realizing that people really want the resilience within their homes. Um, and we're benefiting from some pretty aggressive transformations in the technology that's available to meet those needs so you know a lot of people already know about the the tesla power wall is probably the more common one that people think of in in the virgin islands um but there's a lot of different manufacturers that are now bringing uh technology to the table and more affordable options more modular options as well and so we're trying to stay in line with the the availability of technology and, and crafting programs that uh drive incentives for those type of um, investments for resiliency to be accessible to the community. Now, now let me let me ask this this hypothetical question here. If somebody uh, is of means and they want to to commit to, uh, they have the ability. I mean, they they they're not just sitting here and and waiting and accepting you know what the authority provides. And the authority is trying its best, trying to you know incorporate uh, in some infrastructure that will reduce overall costs and uh, increase efficiency and all that stuff. If somebody's of means and they want to go exa- uh, the, the battery route, the, the solar route, what, what would the energy office suggestions be to somebody who has that ability to invest 
to reduce the cost for energy for them individually. Yeah, yeah so, you know, we're, we've always promoted the uh, adoption of alternative energy sources. Um, we, we certainly try to not suggest off-grid um, only because, you know, not only from the, obviously the, the economic effect it has on the authority, authority and the yeah. system as a whole, um, but also, you know, I think sometimes people take their frustration with the authority and say, okay, the only way to fix it is to just cut myself off from it. Um, but not realizing that that takes on more, like a homeowner might not be ready for the responsibility that comes with being a you know sole source, you know, being their own power provider. Some are, you know, there's definitely some people who are more than equipped, more than willing to make the lifestyle adjustments or invest enough where they don't have to make lifestyle adjustments to, to put a system in place. But I would say that's such a small percentage of the population who, who kind of fit that, that bucket. So usually we try to make sure people are at least staying connected to the grid, which allows them to invest in their system, you know, have enjoy the benefits of the savings, the resiliency of the battery, um, but also still have the utility as a, you know, tertiary uh, line of, you know, support relative to, you know, in case, let's say, you know, the solar system goes down or the battery system goes down, they still have connection to uh, another energy source. So, and that's, you know, why we, when we launched our net energy billing program back in 2020, you know, that was to create a better path for people who do have solar and battery to stay connected to the grid, have a, you know, some type of compensation for their excess uh, solar g- generation, not like the net metering days, but, you know, in terms of like the, what the compensation number was, but still promoting uh, that adoption. Now, um, you mentioned the, the economic realities of someone who has the means to go on their own and not be dependent on the authority because, you know, less people on the, on the, on the grid, that increases the cost for everybody else. That's just the economics of what we're dealing with because the, the authority um, has to uh, pay for the energy that it's providing, right? And that is shared among the ratepayers, right. right? That's just the logic, right? That's just on the surface. But at the same time, um, we're trying to, when I say we, I mean the government of the Virgin Islands, the people of the Virgin Islands, the Water and Power Authority, we're trying to, to do things that uh, would reduce overall uh, authority expenditures on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. right? For example, um, the Agreco and Synchroid. Right, that's an that's that's a lease agreement. That's a that's, that's a lease. That's a lease. Agreement. That's a lease agreement, right? Um, the Wardsilla and St. Thomas is also a lease agreement. No, or that's a that's a that's a, a, a utility a WAPA owned asset. Uh, mm. We do have WAPA they do operate. They, we have like some operation. So they're contracted. They're contracted specialists to to operate that uh, to support the operation. I think we, the operation. there's there's kind of a there's two. There's, we have representatives in there as well, but it's it's not a it's not like it's we're not in contract and whereas Agreco is. Agreco owns their units. They mm-hmm. have their own, you know, operators that manage the Agreco units, and we just take the power from it. Yeah, we're way more involved in the, the you know, as an asset owner for the Wardzillas. Okay, we're more, far more involved in that. And 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 the and and Saint John is an extension of the Wardzilla. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no energy provider no generation, generation on Saint Thomas Saint John. Yeah. Um, why why a lease arrangement on Saint Croix for now, and are we looking at? Something similar long term for St. Croix that is currently going that is going to exist in St. Thomas. Yes, I mean, so the lease structures really exist to meet. Uh, so I, I would say this: you know, the Agreco model typically is to be a bridge between uh, energy bridge between 
maybe a legacy asset and you know the investment or transition to you know new generation or, or some alternative mm-hmm. um, you know a perfect example right now uh, you know Agreco is in the you know they, they have a, a system they're leasing a system in the uh, at the terminals in uh, at the refinery mm-hmm. and you know that that was the kind of you know they're bridging a gap you know it's not supposed to be a permanent installation just as ours is not intended to be a permanent installation uh, it was initially founded as a as a bridge between you know, bringing on new generation in St. Croix, um, but that bridge is kind of extended. You know, it, it started as the Brooklyn Bridge, and now it's the Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's you know, so uh, you know, but that's not that's not a they're, they're not long term. Even if you look at the the pricing of it too, the the pricing of it is you you pay a premium to be able to have that kind of that to have that bridge, so you don't have to necessarily make another long term investment. But mm-hmm. so you know, it's not really a, a sustainable long term um, economic. You know, best case scenario. So that's it's not something we're trying to continue. Okay. Now uh, we heading we heading towards a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about um, the composite pole project and all that stuff, um, and to update the public uh, as as to where we are um, and how much, what percentage. Because I know certain parts of the um, certain parts of the island, you're gonna be doing uh, significant projects. When we had on um, Michelle Peterson mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Smith. And um, so Gregoire, right? They said a big project taking place in Campo Rico. Mm-hmm. That's going to be coming up soon. Clifton Hill is done. Yeah, Clifton Hill. Um, I think they did. Yeah, I think they completed the tie-in yeah. there as well. And they had I the know. one by the underground over by, um, well, that was the water one. Then they have the underground over by Container Port, which Correct. they just completed Correct. the tie And then they got another major project in St. Thomas uh, as, as well coming up. Mm-hmm. So we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll update the public as to where uh, the authority are in these um, high-impact uh, investment projects for the people of the Virgin Islands. Power Hour in effect. Be back right after this. A new year equals new business opportunities at Bank of St. Croix. Bank of St. Croix offers deposit banking products, business online platforms, and commercial loans. Their SBA lending department offers financing options and access to capital for businesses. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallus Bay, 340-773-8500, and one in Peters Rest, 340-713-8500. Bank of St. Croix is an equal housing lender. BankofStCroix.com. The Forum USBI and the St. John School of the Arts are proud to present the Escher String Quartet with Terrence Wilson. Friday, March 10th at the St. John School of the Arts, beginning at 7.30 p.m. And on Saturday, March 11th, beginning at 8 p.m. at the Prior Jollock Hall on the Antilles campus. The Escher String Quartet has received acclaim for its musical insight and rare tonal beauty and soloist Terrence Wilson is one of the biggest pianistic talents to emerge in the U.S. over the last 25 years. The Prior Jollet Courtyard opens at 7 p.m. on Saturday with fare from Amalia Cafe. For more information, theforumusbi.org, 646-725-3353, or theforumusbi at gmail.com. I'm Scott Tong from Public Radio's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now. We bring you all the news that happens between the morning headlines and the afternoon wrap-up. 
plus conversations with authors and artists, stories that affect you, maybe a story about you. So join us for NPR's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now. Weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 p.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1. beauty of the internet for somebody like me uh, a research geek uh i look up that thing in miami uh and you got websites that could give you the weather for every day <laughs> of a particular month in a calendar year as I, I pull up 1986 and uh january 28th 36 degrees oh. and january 29th 37 degrees it, then, it, didn't, it didn't snow, did it? No, no, no. We didn't, it didn't snow. But it felt like it. <laughs> Had to bundle up. And then yeah. by, uh, by, by the 31st, it was up to the, uh, 55 degrees. That's the thing about these cold fronts, you know. They, they just work their way in, hang out for a little bit. Then they just, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, and that's clearly, that's, uh, um, what's it? Uh, high pressure systems and low pressure yeah, systems yeah. and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, we are... Uh, uh, we're starting to impact that, you know. Before we get back to the to the to the projects that the authority are dealing with, and you're the chairman of the uh, 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 governing board, I-, I wanted to to talk a little bit about um, climate change, and you know, people talk about global warming, but if we buy into the principle, the the physics, right, principle of um, for every action there's an opposite mm-hmm. and equal reaction if you if we are um going through global warming and uh, experiencing significant heat during the summertime then the opposite reaction should be increased <laughs> cold weather come winter right, right. You, you see it's just extremes extremes yeah. upon extremes yeah and yeah. so that's why we had that uh um Polar vortex. You were you were you were back home then, right? You had just got back home in, in 2019, thereabouts. Oh no, yeah, I was, I was back. I was back from 2016. So yeah, yeah I remember yeah, what yeah. that happened. Remember that polar vortex mm-hmm. that had rolled away, and then we've had a couple deep freezes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Texas, they've been they've been dealing with that. Um, we never heard about. I know we had one this year where people in Arkansas were complaining about four. I mean, that's four degrees and all that stuff. We never had these deep freezes to the extent that that we're experiencing them now. So that's part of climate change as well. Climate change isn't just on the on the, on, the, on the hot side; it's also on the cool side, right? No, I, I, I think, and I think that that's why they. I think that's why maybe some of the shift has been. I think global warming used to be like the phrase before, mm-hmm. but now climate change. Climate change, because yeah. then that just that that encompasses a little bit more of the spectrum of like right. of, of of difference or or um, kind of uh, contrast in terms of what, what we're seeing now. And I mean, I, I think you know, even let's look at the let's take a look on the for in the tropical region, right? I mean. I feel like almost every year you're seeing these mega storms where you didn't see, you know, you weren't always, it wasn't like an annual basis that you yes, see a category a five, yeah. right? You might have, you know, every once in a while, but this is like, mm-hmm. almost, it's almost guaranteed there's going to be at least one category five. It doesn't, you know, it, it can hit wherever it hits. There's so many different options for that, but you're seeing that kind of consistency of intensity um, building up on that side. No, that's, that's, that's a good point. Cause when we were growing up, yeah, you won't mind them, right? <laughs> uh, 79, 1979, there were two hurricanes, David and Frederick. That used to be the 
the, the benchmark. Mm -hmm. Hurricanes that we always refer to until Hugo slammed into <laughs> us in 89. Yeah. Check, but, I mean, they've been afraid they didn't hit us, but they brought so much rain, and, and they were so big that um, they were always used as, uh, as a benchmark. So you're right. So you're talking 70, 79 to 89 with Hugo. In between, we had one named Klaus that actually had mashed up the pier in Fredericksburg. But that was mm -hmm. a late, late, um, that was a November storm oh, as well. Like a, like a Lenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Lenny in 99. You're check, but you bring up a good point there. Now... Every year you either getting hit or you're getting skirted. You're, oh what? yeah, I yeah. mean like somebody's getting a category five yeah. every year. I yeah. mean that's like that's like a, Dorian, like when Dorian rolled yeah. through here and missed, actually got to hurricane levels right off of Bordeaux, right? And then next thing you know, it's it terrorizing Abaco, Abaco. To, to me, Dorian is still. I think that even though that didn't affect us, I mm -hmm. feel like that's the the new benchmark for intensity. More so because of not just what it, you know, the winds that it sustained, but the fact that it. It sat for 48 hours over the same area. I've never seen. I know they say like Hugo slowed down and kind of planted itself on top of on top of us for like maybe 24 hours. Yeah, man, yeah, man. That was that, that, was, that was. We saw that, you know. We saw that. We look. <laughs> I remember that Saturday afternoon when I look outside and I watch how about that at you and I said we didn't trouble. <laughs> we had never gotten hit. Yeah, never gotten hit. Everything the year before had one in Gilbert. Mm -hmm. had, had mash up um, Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Nobody even right song about it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I look outside and I, I said, no, sir, this one, yeah, this one ain't look regular, my son. And when it hit us Sunday afternoon around the same time as that Saturday Vista, this is about six, seven o'clock. And my son, yo, <laughs> when the eye, when, when, the, when the storm break at about 11, 12 o'clock midnight, we said, okay, done. Little did we know the back half coming, my son. With a whole lot of me, sense. Me. <laughs> that one there was rough. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. We literally thought it was the end of the world. Mm -hmm. It was, it was because we had never gotten hit. We had been desensitized into the thinking. And that was a direct, direct. I mean, if you get an yeah. eye wall, that means you're getting you know, the, the got, worst that had to happen. The Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, and South Carolina. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, I, I remember awesome. that because I remember watching... When I was a kid, I used to watch, um, I don't know why I used to get into this show, but Rescue 911. Mm -hmm. I used to be on like, I don't know, I can't remember what channel it was on. Yeah. But they would, they would do these kind of recreation flashbacks to, you know, big emergency events. Mm -hmm. And I remember they did one where they, uh, with, with uh, Hurricane Hugo in South Carolina, it was the recreation that they did. And I guess I was young enough, where I didn't really, I didn't think of Hugo outside the context of the Virgin Islands. But then to see, you know, exactly just how impacted they were at the stateside level for this thing that we thought was kind of like unique to us at the time. Now we that was a, that was a learning experience, and we learned a lot about Wapa because of Hugo. Yeah, because we realized that um, we were way behind the curve infrastructurally. Just with the pull them. Yeah, I mean, the way the pull them snap, and it wasn't so much that the pull them snap. When we look inside the pool, you could see that the pool they were eating out and mm -hmm. the termites mm -hmm. were having a field there with the uh, pool. So they were, you check out what I'm saying? For, yeah. yeah. These pools that we have now in the Virgin Islands, right? And it's a good segue to the composite pools. Mm -hmm. these, these pools that we have now, right? When we saw these trucks like Florida Power and Alabama Power coming in with the convoys and they're rolling down, yo, you should, hey, it really, it was, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> How does, how does the slang go? Light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. how we were looking at these convoys <laughs> and they coming down and they there and you could see them at the time I was working at uh, Department of Education and um, the whole 
of the, the literally the entire Department of Education was working out to the curriculum center. Curriculum center withstood Hurricane Hugo like it's nothing. Hmm. The court and uh, I believe it's the hillside, you know that hillside up there by um Hobart Greg and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they they say and construction of course because federal monies had built those properties and we saw these convoys and when we look up in the truck them and we see the kind of pool them that they were bringing we said wait a minute <laughs> we never seen them like this before yeah. and and they they do a good job you know subsequent to that well you know I I think I think the segue you brought up is perfect because I think this is a helpful time to look at while these intense these intense changes in climate have really brought on a lot of advancements in the energy sector overall, right? So even if we think of, for example, let's take like Texas, we talk about the deep freezes, right? Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why that was so impactful was because of the energy, you know, cutoff that happened because, you know, a couple of things. One, a lot of these systems, the systems there weren't necessarily weatherized the same way power systems in Alaska, New England, the Midwest are because they deal with this every year. Mm-hmm. Texas lived in this world where, okay, you know, this is such a rare, you know, such a rare possibility. It's why, why overinvest in it? Well, you, you have it happen once. That forces you to have to now, you know, make the investments in, in, in advancing your energy system uh, to be better prepared for the next, you know, inevitable occurrence. The same way here, you know, you, we look at, you know, both from the, the composite pole side, you know, now we're seeing, we're seeing a totally new technology um, for the Virgin Islands be incorporated now, you know, every time you have like one of those big, you know, the big licks, you, mm-hmm. you come back with, a, 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 you can't rebuild it as it was, you have to advance. Uh, and then even if we take the, the look at, you know, the solar and battery side, that's something where there's a push for solar just as a, as a way to, to address climate change. But at the same time, it also be- better prepares us for the event of these disasters, right? So people who have, so now you see so many solar and battery systems in the territory, in the event of another catastrophic storm, you're going to have a lot of people who have b- built-in resilience because they've, you know, made these investments and have these systems at their, you know, at their disposal. Whereas five years ago, you know, there wasn't anywhere near the amount of people within the territory that uh, currently have that resilience. So you came home at 16, yeah, and you got with the energy office at 19. Yep. So you were here for 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 Maria. Yes. Um. The undergrounding from the water and power system to to Christiansted proved that that investment was. <laughs> I can't begin to use the superlatives because we get hit Wednesday night into Thursday and Saturday they got power down, down yeah. right? Yeah. So so we have that tangible example. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. That that uh, uh, the underground investment works. Right? Why don't we do more of that? That's the logical question. I know it comes with money and it comes with connectivity as well, right? Because right. it's a rich man to to downtown Christian. So we also have underground in Frederickstead as well, right? Um, they not. Mu- I think they might have some circuits in Frederickstead. I'm not. I'm not sure there's much in, in Frederickstead. If you think of Frederickstead town, most of it's coming from overhead. It's coming from overhead. Yeah. Okay. I think okay. the closest one in Frederickstead now. Well, is no, no, the- let me rephrase the question. Mm. We, we recognize the connectivity from Richmond to downtown Christiansted. Mm-hmm. Is that the prerequisite in order for underground to work? In other words, you need a power station or a substation to provide that power to allow for connectivity to a downtown area or a high density area? Uh, not not necessarily. I mean, because right now, I mean, there's no, I mean, the nearest substation to Frederickstead is, is the Gregory Willock substation off of the highway by yeah. Diageo. Yeah. So that's the closest substation to Frederickstead. So that's a you know, pretty significant we, run. We got underground in St. Thomas as well. 
Um, Any underground projects? There, there is some the underground in the Charlotte Mall area. They yeah. actually have underground going towards towards the hospital, but that's coming from it's coming from above ground and then going. It's not a direct underground from 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 sub base sub base yeah. to uh, um, up into Charlotte Mall. Right. Okay. So, uh, and that's not when I say Charlotte Mall. I'm more on like the yeah, even side, like near the hospital side. Yeah. Um, but what, what makes what, what what made the underground so effective? That investment so effective to allow for Christian State Tongue to re-energize so quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, you, you, you're, you're, you're protecting, you're, you're protecting the, the, that, the transmission or the, the distribution wires from, from the elements. Yeah. Presumably, right? It's like, yeah. You know, water can still get on the ground and you hope that, that that wouldn't be an intrusion. But even still, a lot of those systems are designed to, you know, accept or at least tolerate some level of water intrusion maybe not not over a sustained time but you know they can if it gets flooded for a little bit it can but survive. the connectivity from richmond to to dongtong coming alongside the shoreline or coming along this main road right here no it's 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 yeah it's not it's not submersible cable it's that's that's coming through on under it'll be underground cable it'll be on, it's underground yeah. cable and it's coming through richmond yeah Okay, don't lower which one is talking like red brick water like yeah all that stuff. i'm not sure exactly where the yeah. route where the, the route actually but why are we from? looking at more um, circuits, circuitry like that to help us out. It's, it's pure. I mean, it's truly, it's, it's truly a cost and complexity. So, like, let's. Okay. I'll, give, I'll give an example, right? Like, you, you talk about how how we kind of prove the the the, the Christian said value from Irma or from mm. Maria. Yeah. An island like Saint Martin. Saint Martin is, especially on the the Dutch side, the majority of it is is underground into the residential neighborhoods everywhere. It's 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 almost rare to see a pool. And so St. Martin was back up, and while there was a lot of destruction to, to structures there, mm-hmm. structures that survived and could be re-energized, they were up within, and this is off, off, over across the majority of the island, was up within a week or two of the storm, right? But they, they, Which they, storm they was that? Because I know they got hit by Louis. They got but, Irma. But, they, oh, they got, they, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. They got yeah. Irma. They got Irma. Like, so they got Irma yeah. before it hit uh, yeah. BBI and, and St. Thomas, St. John. Yeah. Both them and, and Anguilla. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what they had... But, you know, so having that, having that infrastructure investment, and they had that, that's been a standard for them. Again, not just at the main urban hubs, even down to residential. I, mean, I did some solar projects over there, and we were driving around, and I was I was trying to figure out where the poles were because we're so used to that's that's how we mm-hmm. interconnect over here. Mm-hmm. And it was literally just you see this a pipe coming in the private room. sector. This is one of the this private poles. This is in between. Maria and you become in the big shadow. The time between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. But so that you know, so so there. But you know, and I, I don't know really the history of how they how they were able no, to but, fund no, that but, investment. No, no, but enlighten the public as to. So this is a, a a government, a territorial commitment to going underground, as a result of of Irma, or or, or this was the case. Prior to Irma, which allowed for them to re-energize. Prior, prior. That's that's just been their standard operating procedure. Well, yeah. Well. And so as they, you know, as they build a subdivision, yeah. it's you know, it's built out with the wow. know, underground underground infrastructure coupled directly. So, you know, and, and again, the proof is in the pudding, right? Again, they they were re-energized at a f- far faster rate than, than we were. Mm-hmm. But again, you we, know, were, we were heading March, April of 2018. Mm-hmm. Which I come saying this was uh, a lot of us. A lot of us got re-energized by by, by Christmas, right. but you had those abstract areas and that that, that out there that, uh, that that require a little like more time. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, so I mean, I would say you know the the. I mean, if, even if you look at though, if you look at the um, this is to the container port project, the um, the one by gosh, what I can the the mid island over by between agriculture and and. Bureau of Corrections, the yeah, police yeah, station. Yeah. You know, if you look, if you were to drive by those projects while they were going on, 
you could understand and appreciate maybe to an extent like these are you know this isn't dr- cutting just like a you know a one foot trench and dropping no. a pipe like how you would run the yard i mean mm-hmm. these are very invasive you know high you know high cost infrastructure projects that also have to take on not just the cost of the work but then the cost of the permitting and the time involved with the permitting and approvals um you know we're also trying to simplify you know because there's also water lines there's also communication lines trying to be more you know there's a lot of kind of layering efforts in terms of the different utilities that are that are trying to dig one so we don't have to keep on tearing up infrastructure to put down infrastructure to then mm-hmm. rebuild infrastructure um is it a worthy cause absolutely i mean at the end of the day it's it's certainly one of those like real long-term uh investments that i think especially being in the caribbean and we know again as we we're talking about before these patterns aren't changing we're going to still be dealing with them to some degree so mm-hmm. there's certainly value to the investment but i think it's 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 such a such a behemoth undertaking especially when we think about all the different areas that would have to be covered um i think we're we're trying to kind of incrementally piece it together now um kind of going project by project uh, and i think that's that's not an unrealistic way to go about it i think the thing that we're going to do it all in one shot you know that's especially with all the other kind of moving pieces we have going on would be a little unrealistic so sequencing it out getting circuit by circuit um you know, eventually, I think the goal is to get the majority of the territory uh, to being on underground where, wherever feasible. You know, on St. Croix, it's a little bit easier to think of it as well. When we start thinking about St. Thomas and St. John, that's a whole, that's a, that's a different about terrain that's terrain, completely yeah. different. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we, we, we're going to talk about St. John, right? You're ask a question because you've got that battery project that's critical over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I want to talk about whether or not we could uh, modify how we go about uh, with the one dig. And the complexities with the one dig because you got two un- multiple entities who are benefiting from a one dig, right? Um, and the financing and the expenditure of monies and, and how we go about uh, commingling. I think that's the right word, word uh, to expend that money. We'll be back, Power Hour, here on Second Friday uh, in March 2023. We'll be back right after this. PBS NewsHour has a rich legacy of in-depth reporting and strong storytelling. Only four people have sat in that chair before us, and the enormity of this moment is not lost on me. People turn to us because they know they can hear from trusted sources of information and news. That won't change a bit, even as the faces behind the desk change. Good evening. I'm Jeff Bennett. And I'm Amna Nabaz. Weekdays at 7 p.m. on WTJX-TV, Channel 12. You know exactly how you take your morning coffee. Knowing where to get news you can rely on is just as simple. Listen to Morning Edition from NPR News every weekday. From 6 to 8 a.m. here on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. You can also listen on demand via the WTJX app, available for download from the App Store in Google Play. So I spent the past year trying to figure out what news designed for 21st century humans might look like. One of the things that really stuck with me was that we now know that humans actually need hope to get up in the morning. And I don't think as a journalist, I ever thought about it that way. We're always looking for new and better ways to understand the world we live in. That's On Point with me, Magna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. 
Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We're back here uh, with the Pawawa, uh in effect, and we got our energy office director, uh, Mr. Kyle Fleming, <clears throat> uh, joining us uh, as usual. And uh, thanks for being here, um, partner. You know what I'm saying <laughs> that's that's how we do it here. Now, of course, you're not Miss John Grio. Uh, he was a wealth of information. He used to call him whenever we reached out to him, and he was available. Um, he would let us know what's going on. And one of the things that I was, I felt glad to hear was the, the battery project for St. John mm-hmm. because they um, clearly um, as let me, let, me, let me put it to you this way we were balling like balling for our mother that's the, that's the slang we use <laughs> in the part we were balling for our mother after Hugo but I don't believe I heard balling after Hugo like I heard from St. Julian's after Irma mm. they genuinely thought that that, that that everybody was going to die. Yeah. The world was done, and who and who was, uh, because that's just how, you know, they were struggling. Same thing with Tortola. Mm-hmm. With Tortola, they got direct hit as well, right? So, you know, that's fast forward to 2020, you know, we start analyze this, and we I start, I'm a media person now, so I'm establishing relationships with uh, public, information's, uh, public information officers throughout government. Of course, it's an NPR station, informational, we're not looking for confrontation, all that stuff. And he tells me about this investment for St. John, which does not mean St. John going to be a battery transmitted, battery generated power. It means that when, uh, in the wor- when the worst case scenarios are realized, they will not be dependent on the Randolph Holly right. providing power for them. That's what that's what it is, right? Yeah, and it, and it just just it's, so it's a combination. What what was proposed and what's been underway is is the it's a it's a generator and battery combination. Mm-hmm. So. Um, essentially having, and it, which is similar to what's happening in St. Thomas right now at the yeah. Wardzilla. The Wardzilla is, it's, it's 36 you know, megawatts of, of Wardzilla generators, and I think it's 9 megawatts of battery storage combined with, uh, with those generators. Mm-hmm. So it's similar in St. John. So not, there's no wheel reinvention taking place in St. John per se. Not necessarily. I mean, it's still. I mean, it's still. It's still kind of profound in it, in, in that we're you know essentially creating a microgrid for for that island. Mm-hmm. You know, to, as a standalone that's still interconnected to you know the larger grid in, in St. Thomas, and you know the power can work in both ways. So, I mean, there's definitely some novelty to the to the approach and to innovation to the approach as well. But in terms of, I just want to make sure it's it's, it's not just a standalone battery. It's a generator and battery. Uh, I think that initially the plan was for. Uh, four megawatts in Cruise Bay, four megawatts in Coral, Coral Bay. Bay. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that's underway right now is is looking at how, if if there's any need for you know reconfiguration of that, if 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 you know citing most of the generation in Cruise Bay, kind of given the load, kind of given the the concentration of. 
the population and you know the critical infrastructure that's that's based in Cruise Bay, you know how that kind of gets structured. And so I mean at that, but the, at at its core, at the end of the day, the goal was for um, actually the other piece too that kind of justifies a bit more of looking at Cruise Bay is with the undergrounding work to be done. You know, you also have some more resiliency in reaching those um, other branches of the circuit. And so again, there's, there's a lot of kind of value to maybe rethinking it a bit. But you know, the goal at the end of the day was that. In the worst case scenario for for St. Thomas or for the Virgin Islands, that you don't we don't have as much of an interdependency um, with the St. Thomas grid to support St. John, and you know because I think one you know one of the challenges that came as a result of that is it's not just issues at the, it may not be just issues at the power plant right in St. John. There's a sequence of substations that also were were compromised, damaged, water intrusion, um, you know, because of the intensity of the storm, and so. All of those pieces, you know, it's kind of a domino, um, you know, effect of, of, of issues that then have to get to a line that connects to St. John. We talk about redundancy. Having, having generation on St. John is critical to ensuring that it can sustain itself, even if, you know, un, unfortunate or catastrophic conditions happen along the chain on St. Thomas. Now, um, are we looking at, um, well, I think... You would have to build some type of substation over there. But are we looking at the point where St. John one day will be independent of St. Thomas? I mean... And, and what would it require? You know, I, I would say that there's... Given the fact that there's already a submersible cable, you know, I, I, would, I would almost liken it similar to what we talked about before in terms of, you know, people who have the means to, to disconnect but still having you know they have their solar and battery system mm-hmm. but still stay connected to the grid right because at the end of the day things happen um and so you know the i think the idea of independence you know you can be independent you can run you know st john for example with a generator set up there can run primarily off of the generation that's on st john but still having that access in case the system on st john has any issues or there's any disruption to have an easy, you know, essentially switch turn or not even switch, just a kind of a natural, you know, reconnection back to the St. Thomas grid in the event of any issue. I mean, that, that just that just makes it more resilient, more redundant. Um, and, and it's not like you have to go through another investment because the submersible cable, the interconnection is already there. So I don't see there ever being a point where there's a severed line. Mm-hmm. It just may be the fact that uh, maybe St. John runs more. Uh, it can it can su- supply its own source locally. The other thought to think of too, and and maybe to, to think of the other value of keeping connected to the St. Thomas grid, is if you're running St. John exclusively on its own power on the own generation, we have to add another kind of variable there, which is fuel supply. Yeah. Right. So now we're, we're you know it's it's right now the thought is really to have that be a a backup system in the event that you know St. Thomas is down, St. John can pick up its you know its own load mm-hmm. on island. But if you're trying to do that every day, that means we got to supply fuel every day, which means you might have to invest in more storage capacity. Correct. Have to have to deal with the logistics of bringing, you know, another fuel transport. Barging, barging, commodity and all that stuff. Exactly. So, again, I mean, things things that can be done, but it's like, is it worth the added complexity, especially if, you know, you you have it there for the emergency situation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, your your routine operation, you kind of still have you still have the the Harley plant as a main. I like like how you 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 bring in uh, obligation. Right. Right. 
if, if you're going to go on, it's, it's like, um, <laughs> it's like statehood or an independence, right? Or, or in this case, being yeah. a, being a, uh, unincorporated territory, right? Mm-hmm. You want to go on your own, that's good. You're free to do what you want, but then some of the benefits that <laughs> you get, or a lot of the benefits you get by being part of a union, they're no longer there. You know what I'm saying? It's it's, uh, it's always a give, it's always a give and take. Yeah. And again, so, some people are better suited to manage that give and take mm-hmm. than others, and you know, especially from the utility standpoint, you know, we definitely have to balance that. That's good. Now, final um, discussion for this morning: the commingling of monies for these one big projects, yeah. because the the problem is um, the the motoring public. Um, it's like a, a insensitivity to them. In other words, you're holding off. And doing a project because you only want to go in one time, and in the meantime, my front end falling into a hole and mm-hmm. bringing additional costs. Now I know the governor um, waited as long as he could, and then he said, "You know what? I got to pave the road." Yeah. Right? How do we petition the government, or at least ask for some type of special circumstance um, to allow for us? Because when you're talking about waste management, WAPA, um, communications. Right, all of them, you know, on the on the ground, um, communications for the most part is private, right? But WAPA and uh, waste management, those are semi semi uh, 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 autonomous authorities and all that stuff. Um, how can we go about public works, right? Uh, how how can we go about uh, you know putting in place um, a mechanism um, so that once funding is identified, there's an umbrella approach to tap into. Um, like it's, it's project financing. We tapping into it, but X amount of money is set aside for one agency. In other words, um, <clears throat> we're looking at, um, let's use the water, the, the waste management authority. They got what? A billion and a half to two billion dollars mm-hmm. for um, wastewater. Um, a whole new wastewater thing on St. Croix, right? And then the same, th- same thing happened for St. Thomas. It, with them doing that, you know, maybe there's some work that WAPA could do at the same time. You know, how can we get, uh, you know, some type of this agency connectivity, man? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, we, we talk about a lot of, every time we have kind of a, a, a group, we, we had a recovery summit uh, back in, I think it was the end of, Middle of February, it was like February thirteenth, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a recovery summit where we brought brought together all the all the different agencies involved in any aspect of the recovery project. So, I mean, that's almost everybody, but you, you can think of the, the same. You've named at least top five that were there. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this exact area, and you know, the key thing there is it's you know it's one thing for the it's one thing for the agencies to work together. I think that in terms of the communication part, that that part is not too much of an issue to overcome. I think what really becomes tricky is you know, it's not necessarily one pot of funding, right? You know, waste management has their pot of funding with their set of requirements, you know, in terms of approvals that they have to do to even mobilize the funds. WAPA has the same, VINGN has the same. Public Works. Public Works has the same. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like taking, imagine, you know, if you think of like a project, you know, workflow, you, you've, each, you have each one of these different agencies has their own kind of, critical path that they're mm-hmm. um that they have to take but when you guys having these recovery summits um isn't the question asked look 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 um how can we start our project our projects simultaneously 
See that that's I think that's what's tricky is because you still have to get it's it's if it was all if it, if we were all just using kind of our own like you know ge- um, um, general fund mm-hmm. budget I think that'd be easier because at the end of the day the 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 gatekeeper for the funds is one person yeah the problem is we have the gatekeeper of the funds is a different person for every single one of these agencies so you know it's as much as you would like to align those things you're still beholden to you know. A large somebody else, you have to get all those other either federal agencies to be aligned, all the approvals to but, but, be but, aligned. But, but, but my suggestion would be why don't we set the the start date and work backwards, though? In other words, agency A, how much time you need? Agency B, how much time you need? And 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 and, and we sit there because it's 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 boilerplate, you know. No, no, don't get me wrong, uh, approval for financing is not boilerplate, right? But as it relates to getting the language in, um, we're not creating any new language that, that we're submitting to entities who are making monies available for us. You know what I'm saying? So if you're going to take 180 days, right? So let, let's say um, we met on March 1st and, and we all agreed the earliest every agency in play could start is September 1. Mm-hmm. Get 180 days, right? We, we sit down, we all agree, look now, we're going to bust our, our behinds to get everything that we need in place. Financing has already been set aside, so to speak. Um, how do we go about making this a reality? Because once that happens, then that impacts the economy as well. Uh, because sure. at that point, you know, we dig in one time, everything, the road's going to be brand new, the whole works. Right, right. No, I, I mean, I... I would say I, I wish I, I wish I could say I definitely wouldn't say that I have the solution to this. This problem. nobody does. I'm, 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 just, I'm just suggesting. Uh, yeah, you know, because you, you, you're telling us. And I don't want to say you. I just mean you know, um, agencies and the, 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 the chief executive and ODR director. One dig is the goal. Mm-hmm. One dig is the reason why a project may not start and all that stuff. Then we need a one dig manifesto. You know what I'm saying, manifesto. or something along the line. You check to make it happen. Because yeah. we're hearing one dig now for two and a half years. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I imagine that they would probably get into this point if we're not there already. I mean, I think one of the things, you know, I, I would look at this as, you know, the key piece there is you, you talk about having that one kind of start date that everybody kind of aligns mm-hmm. on. I mean, I think at the end of the day, really, the, the, the key thing, you still need kind of a, a, a champion necessarily of, of, of all of those agencies. Like the, the way I would look at it would be, you know, instead of having, you know, Every agency having their every, every agency needs their own project manager for sure, but you, mm-hmm. you clearly need a project manager of all these pieces together. That's that's their whole role is making sure that all of the coordination, that all the critical paths that every agency is on is aligned. And I, you know, no, I think that that's happening to a certain degree. I'm not sure exactly who, maybe which maybe which project manager is responsible for that track, but that that would be the key way to do it because otherwise, everybody's kind of working kind of in their own lane or in their own silo without necessarily as much of a cohesion between the other agencies and that, that it's impossible to get a, an aligned track if that's what's going no, on. Because, no, because I, I've heard that, you know, um, we're ready, but our next entity, they still got some people working, some permitting that they're they going to need. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, you know, at, at some point, you know, like, sorry, Christian said tongue, man. Them roads in Christian said tongue, oh gosh. Yeah. In particular, the backside of Christian oh, said yeah. tongue. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. We, we need to address that. Further said, you know, they're coming to come, you know, but they still got some roads as well. And of course, Savan, the downtown area in Charlton, Mali, and, and Cruzway, and all that. So, you know, I just, you know, want us to, to I, I want Ayo to not be beaten up 
for using the one day approach because at some point the public just loses confidence and pub- public confidence is really what we're looking for right now. In right. particular, and you work in uh, um, in your in your capacity as chairman of the uh, uh, Wadam Power uh, Governing Board, public confidence is really the biggest thing that we're dealing with. Well, well you know, you know, it's kind of interesting to think of, right? In terms of like. You know, what, one of, what's one of the reasons why we're trying to do the one dig side? And this, this, I'll just throw a long shot out there as we mm-hmm. just to think of kind of how things happen in the States. You know, we, we don't want to have this kind of constant digging and reconstruction, reworking of, the, of these areas. But I mean, when I think of my time, that, the time that I spent in the States, living in the States, you know, there's so many roads that were just constantly under construction. Yeah, man. Right? And these are, these are in major arteries on major interstates. And so, you, you know, I think back to that and I was like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're trying to avoid this disruption. But at the end of the day, cities around the world are, are, are managing that disruption for the, for the end goal that is, you know, ultimately to provide better, you know, better infrastructure support. So, you know, may, you know maybe we're, it, it, there's an extreme world where maybe we're overcomplicating it with the point of like, hey, if we got to dig a couple of times for the betterment of the, you know, so the service, like, so be, so be so be it. It. like a little disruption, a little traffic disruption here and there. Uh, Thanks a lot, man. Great show today. Yeah, man. Happy birthday. Yeah, man. Enjoy. Thanks a lot, man. Now everybody works on their birthday. See you here walking. But this is a good time for you, man. (laughs) You got it. You got it. We'll be back right after this with Montessori School. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board. What is the secret to happiness? That's a really good question. And how can we live a more meaningful existence? Here's the secret, I think, of life. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. Each week on NPR's TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey with TED speakers who help us answer some of life's biggest questions. Oh, wow. Yeah, let's get right to it. Join us. Saturdays at 4 p.m. here on WTJX FM 93.1. These days, people go to great lengths to shed the stress of daily life. There's acupuncture, deep tissue massage, meditation, yoga. At All Things Considered, we offer our own type of healing, invigorating news stories that span the rainbow of human experience. Nourish your mind and escape from the ordinary. Weekdays on All Things Considered from NPR News. From 5 to 8 p.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1.